as we're sitting down and kind of getting our hearts together, can we just take a second to pray and ask the Lord to uh, just kind of oversee our hearts and our minds here as we hear His Word? Father, thank You so much for Jesus Christ. And thank You, Father, for the worship we've had already. And we pray, Lord, now that as we hear from Your Scriptures, that You would do whatever You want to do in our hearts to us so that You can do whatever You want to do through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, earlier in the service, we prayed the prayer. Ryan was helping us pray the prayer of the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, we pray this unique phrase, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or as you rightly pointed out to us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the question struck me this week as I was reflecting on the worship service and Ryan using that, the Lord's Prayer, How does God answer that prayer? What does God do to answer the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? We're going to look at two passages here in a moment, which I think is going to give us light on some of the ways God does that. But before we do that, I have a quiz and a story to give to you, okay? And this quiz will go on your permanent record. So be careful as you, as you respond to it. But here's, here's, first of all, the quiz. Okay, now, you, it's hard to see this, but this is a picture of a good friend of mine whose name is Glenn McNaughton. And Glenn lives up in the Washington, D.C. area. Let me tell you a bit about Glenn. Um, I met Glenn when he was, when he was in high school, and uh, we actually were uh, in college together for a while and then did some other things. And Glenn went off after college and went to, to a seminary graduated from seminary, and became a pastor. And after he was a pastor for a number of years, he decided to change his vocational direction. Um, And in the midst of doing that, he went back and got an MBA, and then went into the financial sector. And he's had numbers of jobs over the years in the financial sector, and currently he's a financial analyst who is under contract with the U.S. government. Okay? So that's the story of Glenn. Now, here's the question. Here's your quiz. Come up with an answer in your own mind, but don't blurt it out because we're going to come back to it later, okay? But here's the question. What is more significant? What is more important in God's economy for God to to answer the, the prayer, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth? What career is more important in God's economy? Glenn's career as a pastor or Glenn's career as a financial analyst? Think about that. What career that he has been in is more critical, more important, more strategic to accomplish that prayer of God? That's the quiz. We will be coming back to it. Here's the story. Here's another picture. You can barely see that picture. That picture is a a, picture of a man named Richard C. Halverson. Dick Halverson was my pastor from the time I was in seventh grade all the way through to after I was married, and he was the pastor who performed the wedding for my wife and I. It's kind of, that's actually a picture of an oil painting that uh, David Slade found on the internet. It's kind of hard to see because behind him you might notice there's some stairs and things. That's actually a picture of him, a painting of him in the United States Senate chambers because after he was pastor of Fourth Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C., 
he became the, uh, the Senate chaplain, and he was the chaplain for, in the Senate for over 15 years. Now, there's an interesting story that I clearly remember Dick telling in a sermon uh, after he experienced it. Dick, uh, as you can tell, he was in, the, in Washington, D.C., and uh, oops, go back to Dick, there we go. And um, he would fly off and out of Reagan Airport. Now, if you've ever flown in or out of Reagan Airport, you know, if, if you fly out of Reagan Airport in Washington, D.C., and uh, you're, on the, you're going north, um, you generally fly up a pattern that goes up the Potomac River. And if you're sitting on the left-hand side of the airplane, if you look down, you see Fairfax and McLean, and you see the CIA agency of where that is. Nobody's supposed to know where it is, but everybody knows where it is. And you see a bunch of other things on the left side. On the right side, you see the Maryland side, and you drive, there's Georgetown, and you fly up and a little bit farther, and you, and you see Bethesda, and then you're, you keep flying up. And as you fly over that, that pattern, you can look down and see 4th Presbyterian Church, where Dick was the pastor, and the church where I became a Christian, and where we were married and things. But Dick tells a story of taking off from Reagan Airport. And he was on the right-hand side of the plane, and he looked down, and he saw 4th Pres, and he said, oh, look, there's my church. And then he said, it was as if the Lord spoke to him and said these words, Dick, that's not your church. That's the building where your church meets on Sundays. Your church is scattered throughout these neighborhoods, throughout the city of Washington, D.C. It's literally scattered throughout the world. That's where your church is. They only meet in that building on Sunday mornings. How is God answering our prayer? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's look at these two passages of Scripture. First one in Luke chapter 8, verses 16 to 18. Jesus says, No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and for the one who has not, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. Jesus is here using the metaphor of light, and he says, make sure you put that light up on a stand, and it's going to shine because everything is going to be made manifest in one day. Then the second passage is from Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Again, using the metaphor of light in a little bit different way, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How is God answering the prayer your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do these verses speak to that? I'd like to suggest to you this morning that the answers come in two ways. The Luke passage tells us that God's light can change us. God's light can shine in our lives and make manifest things and reveal things. But it also says in the other passage that God's light in us impacts the world. 
So those are the two things we're going to look at. What does God, God's light do to us? And then what does God's light do through us? Now, as we've already seen, God's light illumines and God's light um, exposes. Light illumines and light exposes. Let's take a quick look and see how this actually happens in a very well-known clip from a movie. You see what happens. Indiana Jones is trying to figure out what is he going to do? What is he going to face? He has to go down there. He throws the light down there. What happens with the light? The light illumines. And he sees his worst possible thing. Snakes. Why does it have to be snakes? I love it. As we see from that, come on, there we go. Light reveals. Suddenly he sees what's down there. It was darkness before, but now he sees what he faces. It illuminates the reality of the situation. You know, it's interesting that uh, a very well-known song that we've, many of us have sung over the years is from Psalm 119. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But in a very real sense, the word of God illuminates. The scriptures talk about the word illuminating us. Help us to understand God's will and God's purposes. Why he'd have us do the things he would have us to do. And as we get into the scriptures and we understand God's word, it illuminates things in our lives and we can understand his purposes for us better. That's one of the reasons why it's critical for us, if we're going to be followers of Christ, to understand the scriptures because it illuminates us. It shows us what we need to be doing. Let me share a story from my life about this. A number of years ago, I was working in a situation and uh, we had a person I was working with that just didn't, it, it wasn't working out. He was uh, a person who had offended a number of people in the place that we were working. He was uh, a bull in a china shop relationally. It just was not working out. And it was clear that we were going to have to let him go. Now, how does the Word of God illuminate? If you talk to people who are involved in management and leadership positions, you know that even the crustiest leader, one of the things they don't want to have to deal with is firing people. It's one of the hardest things to deal with. As we were reflecting on this, as we were thinking about this and asking ourselves, how do we handle this situation, this, this human resource situation, two passages came to my mind as, as I was praying and thinking about this. One passage was in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I asked myself the question, how would I want to be fired if I was being fired? How would I want to be treated? Another passage was, be merciful even as your Father in heaven is merciful. Now, corporate world would speak into our situation and say, this guy's worked for you for almost less than a year. You probably should not give him more than a week's severance. And yet, 
it was a time of year, and this is a particular, this is a ministry situation. It was a time of the year when it would be very hard to get a job. He was married with three kids. How are we supposed to treat him? As we grappled together, we grappled over these verses. What's the merciful thing to do? How would we want to be treated under these circumstances? And the word of God caused us to make decisions which would go against what corporate America says would be the right way to do it. Because we were trying to be sensitive to understand, Lord, what would your word teach us to do under these circumstances? Not what's the prevailing conditions of our cultural perspective on this. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God illumines us in our lives. But it not only does that, the word of God also exposes in our life. Luke 8, 17, nothing is hidden that says in that passage, it will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. As we reflect and meditate on the word of God, it not only illuminates us to help us understand God's world, word, it also convicts us. It, it exposes our life. It shows us what we need to be repenting of and how we need to be changing. Another story out of our background, years ago, we were doing some work on our house, doing a good bit of reconstruction work in, in our house. I was trying to do a lot of this by myself and with friends, and because of that, a whole pile of uh, debris, uh, old insulation and wood and windows and other stuff was piling up that we needed to get rid of as we were going through this renovation. And uh, we, we, I, hadn't, I hadn't rented a dumpster. We didn't have enough for that, but we had to get rid of this stuff. How do we do it? Well, there's a lot of different ways, but um, I realized that our trash company would come and, and send a special truck to pick up all this stuff. And so I called up the trash company and said, hey, please come and pick us up. They brought a guy over, and before he picked it up, the guy came to the door and knocked on the door, and he said, you know, you don't have all that much stuff here. It's going to cost you $50 to have us pick this up, do this special pickup, even though we're already here. You know, if you just gave your trash man $20 when he comes next time, he can pick this stuff up for you, and it's going to save you some money. So I thought, well, you know, that's great. I'm always up for saving money. So I said, thank you. I appreciate that a lot. He took off, didn't take the stuff. Trash man came. Now, I have to say this. My sweet wife wasn't there when he said that to me, okay? And the, later that week, the trash man came, and I went outside and, and, uh, and talked to the trash man and said, hey, I, was, I had your guy here, and he said, listen, what, don't, make, don't pay us extra money to pick this up. Just give some money to your to the tr regular trash collector, and he'll take it. So I I gave him 20 bucks, like the guy told me, and the guy hauled the stuff away. I walked into the house, and my wife said, what, what was that? And so I explained it to her. I said, this is what the guy said. And, and she looked at me, and she said, is that the proper procedure that the trash company has laid out? No. Do you think you're being honest with a trash dealer? No. No. What do you think you should do? What was my wife doing? She was taking the word of God about being honest, being forthright, being straightforward. And she was applying it to the situation. And it was exposing me. I ended up having to go to the trash company's office, acknowledge what I did, and give them $50 more that it would have cost to have the $50 hauled away. So it cost me $70 
to haul away trash. It should have only cost me $50 because I wasn't listening to the Holy Spirit who was bringing up those verses in my mind until my wife illumined me and revealed my bad attitude and my falseness. The Word of God illuminates and reveals. God's light comes and shines on us and shows us His will. So, when we talk about the idea of praying, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One of the ways that happens is as God changes us as we're exposed to His light. The passage that we looked at in Luke actually comes right after Jesus gave the parable of the soils, the four soils. And he says, you know, one type of soil, you throw the word of God on it, and it springs forward quickly, but it dies. And another one never, the birds come and pick it up and take another one. It takes root, but when the weather comes, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, that burns up the fruit. He said, there's one that responds well and has multiple fru- fruition. And right after he talks about that, what he's talking about is the impact of the Word of God in our life. And he talks about the light of the world. The light shines through the Word of God in our lives. Now this says to us, the clear application is, if we want to understand God's will for our life, if we want to understand how God is answering that prayer, we need to expose ourselves, open ourselves to God's Word on a regular basis. And it's great to come on Sunday morning and to hear God's word preached and to discuss it, take a a sermon, questions and discuss that. That's good and that's important. It's also important for us to spend time on a regular basis just reflecting on the scriptures ourselves. The Bible again and again and again and again and again says that the scriptures are available to us to understand his ways and to show us his truth so that we might walk in his ways and live in a way which pleases him. Let's be people of the word of God so that his light would shine upon us and change our lives so that the next point would come up. As the word of God is changing us, having some challenges with this clicker, as the word of God comes and changes us, then God's kingdom comes as we become the light of the world to others. You see, as God's light shines upon us and changes us, Jesus then says, we then become the light of the world and begin impacting the world by being his lights. His kingdom is coming, he says, through the light of the word shining through us in our lives into the light of others. And so, as Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine so that they may see your good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. Now, How does our light shine in the world? Well, clearly what often comes to our mind is the, there we go. I think I'm at the right place. We'll find out in a second, Roy. Um, How does our light shine in the world? Let me give you an example. Right now in my own personal time with the Lord, I'm studying 1 Peter. Okay? Now, 1 Peter says in uh, 1 Peter 1, uh, excuse me, 3.15, that one way our lights to shine in the world is that we need to be prepared to verbally share with people why we have a hope within us, okay? And what he's saying there is we have to be prepared to verbally share with people about 
the gospel and how it's impacting our lives. And that's usually the way we think about the idea of when God's light shines us, how are we supposed to be the light of the world? We're supposed to verbally talk about the gospel. That's true. But we so often just stop there because you know something that scares the ever-loving daylights out of us. Most of us, when we think about having to talk about the gospel, we think, oh man, I'm going to be cramming the gospel down somebody's throat. I'm going to be saying, you know, I'm going to be in an uncomfortable situation. I'm going to make everybody else around me uncomfortable. Well, Peter says you need to be ready to share with honesty about the hope that's within you. But he also says things like this. He says, be a good citizen. Pray for the emperor. Pray for those who are above you. Be a responsible citizen. Pay your taxes responsibly. Obey the laws. He also says, be a caring spouse. Love those who are in your family. If you're a husband, if you're a father, care for those who are in your family. If you're a, if you're a, if you're a wife, be responsive to and love your husband and love your kids. He also says, live holy lives. Be ye holy as I am holy. He also says, do good deeds, like Jesus said, let the, your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Peter says, do good deeds so that you'll baffle people who, aren't, who, who know you're a Christian, and they think, well, he's a Christian or she's a Christian, so they're a turkey, but look at the things that they're doing. Look at the life that they're living. In essence, what Peter is saying is, yes, be ready to... Ver- St. Francis of Assisi put it this way, preach the gospel... And if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Be ready to use words if necessary, but let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Interesting example of this uh, from the scriptures is Noah. In Hebrews 11, verse 7, the author of Hebrews is reflecting on Noah and building the ark and things. And he says this, he says, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning the events yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now break this down for a moment. First of all, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning the events yet unseen. Noah reflected on the word of God. The word of God impacted Noah and it changed him. Okay? And in response, he obeyed God and in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. What was the impact of Noah's obedience to the scriptures? By this, it says he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, what does it mean that he condemned the world? Well, there's a commentator by the name of Bill Lane, and he says this. The writer's statement that Noah condemned humanity or condemned the world need imply no more than the life of a person of firm faith and faithfulness to God that presents a sharp rebuke to a godless generation. Construction of the ark prior to the perception of the danger, that's before it started raining, and people didn't know what was going on, regardless of what Hollywood's presentation of the movie Noah showed you. Construction of the ark prior to the perception of the danger was itself a prophetic act announcing to the world the forthcoming judgment of God. It also proclaimed a dynamic faith in the truth of God's warning 
despite all appearances to the contrary. What's he saying there? What he's saying is Noah was impacted by the word of God. He shaped his life around that by constructing the ark for the safety of his family. And it, by, the word, by the actions he did and by the lifestyle that he lived, he proclaimed God's word to the watching generation. The word the Hebrew uses is he actually condemns them because they laughed and they scorned and they said, what do you think you're doing? And what an idiot and all these other things. But the fact is, his simply shaping his life in responsiveness to God's word was a declaration to his culture. And that's how God calls us to be lights in the world. Let me give you a modern 20th day, 21st century example of this by introducing you to another friend of mine. This old dude's that just came off. Come on back, Bruce. Hello. Okay, that's what Bill Lane said. Okay, there he is. This old dude's name is Bruce Bickle, okay? I first got to know him when I was a high school student back in the dark ages. I played football, and I went to a football camp, and Bruce was one of the football camp counselors and coaches. He, at that time, was a cadet, excuse me, a midshipman at the United States Naval Academy. Some of you will, will recognize the name Roger Staubach. Roger Staubach played for the Naval Academy, was the Heisman Trophy winner. Um, he went on after his stint in the Navy and went and played for the Dallas Cowboys. They won one or two Super Bowls. I can't remember how many. He's in the Football Hall of Fame. You say, what does that have to do with Bruce Bickle? Well, Bruce was the backup quarterback to Roger Staubach. Okay, a great brother in Christ and a very good football player, though not as good as Roger Staubach. Um, but Bruce was a guy that... Uh, after I got to know him at this football camp, uh, I, was in, I happened to be, I grew up in Maryland, and I happened to be in Annapolis with a friend of mine doing some activities. And uh, I said, hey, why don't we go over to the academy and see Bruce? He was a, his last year there. And I said, let's go see Bruce Bickle. So we trudged down to the, to the Naval Academy. We didn't know where we were going or what we were doing. You know, the Naval Academy is this big, huge campus. And we walked into the campus and we're walking along and we see this midshipman there. And I just walked up to him. And I said, excuse me, could you help us? We're trying to find Bruce Bickle. Okay, now remember, there's over 4,000 midshipmen at the academy. There's, you know, thousands of students and, and everybody, all this stuff going on. And I just walked up to a random midshipman, and I said, we're trying to find Bruce Bickle. Can you help me know how to do this? This was his response. Oh, are you Christians? So I said, well, yeah, we are. As a matter of fact, are you? And he said, No. I'm not a Christian, but everybody at the Naval Academy knows who Bruce Bickle is and what he stands for. Wow. What an impact this man's life has had. Later, Bruce told this story of something. He was in Washington, D.C. This is after he graduated and he'd served time in the, in, in the Navy. And he was back and he was working at, at, in the Washington, D.C. area at that time. And he, he told this story. He said, he said, I was driving through Washington, I inadvertently drove through a red light. And he said, a policeman was there, perfect timing, and pulled me over, walked up, wrote a ticket, handed me the ticket. But he said, this is what Bruce said to him. After, he hand, after the policeman handed him the ticket, he said, you know, this morning I was reading in my Bible, and it says that you're supposed to obey the authorities because they are God's ministers for my good. 
So I just want to take a moment to thank you for being God's agent for my protection and my good. That was his response to the policeman. The policeman's response to him was this. He said, can you wait a minute? Bruce said, sure. He walked back to his police car. He came walking back. Clearly, he had a piece of paper in his hand. He came back and he said, I want you to look at this. He said, this is my letter of resignation. I was going to turn it in today at the end of my shift. I thought my job was meaningless, and no one gave a rip about what I did. You have just given me hope that I'm serving God in what I do. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So here we are, back where we started. Excuse me, Bruce. I'm going to re- back where we started with my friend Glenn. And I asked you a question, which was a quiz. Which job of Glenn's was more strategic for the kingdom of God? Being a pastor or being a financial analyst? Lots of times when college students are finishing up their senior year, and they go off to a conference that ministries sponsor. And uh, I've known this, many ministries do this, many ministries sponsor this, and you know what the message usually is to those college students? Well, the most important thing you can do for the kingdom of God is be a goer. You need to go out into all the world and proclaim the gospel, as it says in Matthew 28. And if you can't be a goer, then you need to be a giver. You need to give of your resources so that other people might go and proclaim the gospel. Now, friends, there's nothing wrong with being a goer. And God calls people to various ministry activities that are critically important for his kingdom work. I'm not disparaging that. There's nothing wrong with being a giver. We need to be giving responsibly, as we do every Sunday here, to God's kingdom work and see our resources are part of all that God's given to us for his glory. But to say that those are the two choices you have is not only wrong, it's, it's, it's blatantly unbiblical. It brings us back to the question, what is more strategic for my friend? To be a pastor or to be a financial analyst? Those conferences would say, well, the most important thing is to be a pastor. That's the most spiritual thing, and that's the most important thing. If you're going to be a financial analyst, make as much money as possible to give as much money as possible that somebody else will do the job. And my response is, the answer to that quiz is, both roles are critically important in the kingdom of God. One is not better than another. It's not an issue of being a goer or being a giver. It's an issue of being the light where God has planted you. Wherever God has called you to be, whether it's being a financial analyst, being a pastor, we're to respond to God's word and reflect his kingdom. We're called to love our spouses and reflect God's kingdom. We're called to parent our kids and reflect God's kingdom. We're called to do our projects at school or do our projects at work. And so by reflecting God's kingdom, we're called to treat our coworkers in a way that reflects God's kingdom. How we live, how we work, how we manage our resources, 
all reflects God's kingdom. The issue is not what we're doing. The issue is who we are and where God's planted us. And God is doing that through each one of your lives. You are not where you are by mistake. You are his kingdom representative to be the light of the world where he has planted you. So let your light shine before men and women. That they may see your life and your works. And they may come to glorify your father who is in heaven. And by doing so, we're answering the prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, help us to see that being a trash collector in the name of Jesus Christ is every bit as spiritual as being a pastor. Help us to see that being an accountant is every bit as important as being a missionary. Help us to see, Lord God, that you don't put us where we are by accident, but that you are taking us to change the metaphor and spreading us out of the salt shaker into the fabric and the fiber of this world, not to be seen, but to penetrate this world, to bring the gospel to bear upon this culture and this world. Oh, Lord God, I pray that you would give us a vision to see that you are accomplishing your prayer that you have given to us, through us, in the lives that you call us to live, wherever that would be. In Jesus' name, amen.